we're in this uh, series of messages called uh, Countercultural Church. And uh, what we're doing is we're looking at why the true church of God is the most radical, it is the most transformative because it ultimately changes people's lives as it preaches Christ. It is subversive, it is countercultural. It is that movement, it is the most countercultural movement that has ever existed and will in fact ever exist. And we live in a culture that is increasingly turning its back on God. It's turning its back on biblical morality, on what is true. And the church needs to, must, should stand out as completely different. We should be different from the culture and society in which we live in. We are to be, as the Bible says, we are to be salt and light in this world. Now this morning, as the next part of this series, I want to talk about the most fundamental belief that we hold to. This is central, this is fundamental, this is non-negotiable, this is crucial to us as a church, it is crucial to any Bible-believing church, and it is this, that there is only one way to heaven, and that way is through Christ and through Christ alone. There are not many different ways to heaven, but only one way, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, have you ever thought about how many different ideas about faith and religion and God exist among the human race? There are Christians in a variety of groupings and churches. There are Hindus. There are Muslims. There are Confucianists, Shintoists, Buddhists, Atheists, Agnostics, Nihilists, Humanists, Deists, Pantheists and New Agers, to name just a few of them. And every single one of them think that they are right. They all think they're right. But a lot of people are going to find out when they die that they are, in fact, wrong. But for thoughtful people, those perhaps who are kind of wondering about religion and faith and things like that, for thoughtful people, that raises the question. What are the odds that uh, I'm right? So many people with so many different ideas and opinions, what belief system is, in fact, right, which is correct? And this is a troublesome question for many people. And because a lot of the smart people out there disagree with each other, people then say, well, there's no way to know who is right and who is wrong. So the only appropriate response must be, should be, is, well, don't decide. Don't commit. Just be an agnostic or a sceptic. But here's the thing. The stakes are really high. In fact, this is one area of your life you cannot be neutral on. People have to make a choice where withholding a commitment is not really an option. To choose not to make a decision is to make a decision. There is no neutrality when it comes to faith and to belief. And the problem is sometimes people think about faith, is they think of it as if it's a, an abstract issue, kind of a, a philosophical question, and they can remain neutral and therefore no need to make any choice whatsoever. But you can't do that. The Bible won't let you do that. You have a life, you have a choice, you will die and then in fact you will know. So you have to decide the answer to those questions, to these questions. What will I build my life on? What will my character become? What cause will I serve? And these are all God questions. Whether we want to think about them that way or not, they are all God questions. And this is not the kind of issue where people can kind of just sort of stand on the sidelines and say, well, I think I'll pass on that discussion. You know, I'm not going to think about religion and I'm not going to talk about belief because that's kind of just, I'm just going to pass on that kind of stuff. 
Well, if you just drift, you in effect become a practical atheist. And that is a, that is a decision you make. It is your own decision. And I believe that the greatest opportunity ever offered to human being is the opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ, to know Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to follow Jesus, to love Jesus. That Jesus is the only way to know God, to be guaranteed of heaven when you die. And I believe life and death and heaven and hell hang in the balance for you, for me, for our neighbours, for the people who live where we are, for the people all around this world. And I also believe that the church, that is you and me, we are to tell people about Jesus Christ and we are to explain to people that Jesus is the only way in which you can be saved. That there are not many different ways to God, but there is only one way and that is through Christ and Christ alone. Now, as soon as you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, people will get annoyed by that. Jesus the only way to heaven? Well, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, isn't that narrow-minded? Isn't that bigoted, exclusive? I mean, that's intolerant. Maybe a way to uh, heaven, but the way? I mean, it sounds so judgmental. It sounds so intolerant to me. And if you're not thinking this way, your friends are, your neighbours are, sceptics are, those outside of Christianity are, those who are kind of looking at it, they think this way. And in our world that we live in, there are so many options for everything. But when it comes to truth, this whole idea of one way, it really creates a stumbling block for people's faith. And it's surrounded by confusion, by anger, and by a lot of misunderstanding. Now, this isn't my opinion. You need to know that this morning. It's what Jesus said himself. Jesus said a number of outrageous things, actually. Don't ever think of Jesus as a kind of meek and mild, little baby Jesus kind of sort of person. Jesus was far from that. Jesus said uh, some outrageous things. Jesus did, did some really courageous stuff, some incredible things. And by far the most outrageous thing that he ever said, the most politically incorrect words, maybe you might even think intolerant words that came from the lips of Jesus are found in John 14 verse 6 where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there is many an atheist, many people who don't do church who will be outraged that Christians believe this. How bigoted of Christians to say Jesus is the only way. How narrow-minded. What an outrageous thing to say. What an outrageous thing to believe. And those people who sort of are investigating Christianity, checking it out, this can be a barrier to them. Or maybe you've been a follower for Jesus for a long time and for you this statement of Jesus is kind of one of those statements you wince at. You know that if somebody who's not a Christian confronts you with why Jesus makes this outrageous statement, you're not quite sure how to answer that. How would you, what would you say? 
you know, you kind of get into those kind of conversations maybe with people you know or in group situations or maybe in work and there's kind of conversation about religion and kind of different beliefs and you're thinking, I don't know what to say in this conversation because actually I believe just in Jesus. When you come to this issue, I am totally convinced that Jesus was telling the truth when he said it. Having been a Christian now for many years, I've come to the conclusion that he said it not out of arrogance, but actually of great compassion. And when we tell people this, even though it comes across as countercultural, intolerant, it is in fact good news. And the closer you study this statement that Jesus makes, the more sense it makes. Because you see, I believe that this single sentence is the most important truth in the entire planet and it is for everyone. No matter who you are. No matter what your background is. But why is it so controversial? Well, I think it's controversial because this statement strikes at the heart of a number of myths that we have about belief and faith. And I want to talk about three of these myths this morning and I want to show you what Jesus says about it. Myth number one is this, all religions are basically the same. That's the first myth, all religions are basically the same. That when you get down to it, when you strip it all away at the surface level distinctions, when you get down to the kind of basic essentials, all religions basically teach the same thing. So if that's the case, then it doesn't really matter which one you believe. All spiritual paths lead up the mountain to God in one way or the other. And if you strip them down to their essentials, they all teach things like the brotherhood and sisterhood of men and women, about caring for one another, about doing good, about the universal fatherhood of God, and so on and so forth. Yet with this one outlandish assertion, Jesus boldly takes Christianity and he puts it in a separate class by itself. And if the only real path to God is through Jesus Christ, then the truth is this. Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion. It simply cannot be reconciled with any other religion. Take that even just as a, on a logical basis. Put belief to one side for a moment. Just logically, if you take what Jesus says, then Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion. In fact, in Acts 4, verse 12, we read this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That is the uniqueness of Christianity. The uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He is unlike any other religious leader who ever walked the planet. In fact, let me show you. Listen to the difference between what other religious leaders say and what Jesus says. So, for example, other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you how to find the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you the way to salvation. Jesus says, I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how you can become enlightened. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you the many doors that lead to God. But Jesus says, I am the door. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how you can find spiritual nourishment. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life, so follow me. You see the difference? 
Uh, and for a long time, people tried to harmonise, tried to find commonality between the different religions of the world. But there are drastic and irreconcilable differences between Christianity on the one hand and all the other belief systems on the other. All religions other than Christianity, are based on the idea of people doing something through their struggling and their striving to somehow earn the good favour of God. You've got to go on pilgrimages, or you've got to give donations to the poor, or avoid eating certain kinds of foods, or you've got to pray in a certain way, or you have to go through a series of reincarnations. They are all attempts of people to reach out to God, to do something to please God, whoever that God may be. But Jesus Christ is God reaching out to people. Jesus taught the opposite of what these other world religions teach. He said that nobody could earn their way into heaven, so you might as well stop trying. He said two things that are very consistent with our human experience, and we all know this. First, we're all guilty of wrongdoing, and you know that's true. No one here, no one in fact, no one person would claim they are perfect. And it resonates with our human experience to say, yeah, that's true, everybody does fall short. Yeah, I have done stuff that's wrong. Then Jesus said, our wrongdoing separates us from God. We know from our experience that's true too, don't we? Has, has there ever been a time in your life when you felt that God is distant, detached from you? Of course, we've all felt that. Why? Well, because our wrongdoing has created a gulf, has created a separation between us and God. Because God, by his nature, is a righteous judge and our wrongdoings must be paid for. But out of his great love for us, Jesus voluntarily offered to be our substitute, to pay the penalty for the sin that we deserve so that we wouldn't have to. And when we receive his sacrifice on our behalf, then we become reconciled with God forever. That's what Christianity says. No other religion will tell you that. There is a difference, you see. There is a difference between good works and grace. Because all other religions are spelled D-O, do. Why? Because they all fundamentally teach that people have to do something, some sort of religious ritual, some sort of way to make themselves morally okay to try to please God. And the problem is nobody knows how many good things they have to do in order to please God. Because if you look at kind of the different religions, one will say this and one will say that. How, How do you know what is good enough? It's like you're a salesperson and your boss comes up to you and he says, I'm going to fire you unless you meet your target, but I ain't going to tell you what your target is. What do you do with that? So you go out, you sell, 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 because you don't know how much you have to do to meet that target. Well, it's the same thing. Every other religion says you've got to do something, whatever that something might be, to make yourself acceptable to God. But you never ever know how much you have to do, how good is good enough. And what you think might be good, the other person thinks that that is less, or they may be doing more than you. How do you know? Christianity, on the other hand, says you can never do enough to earn your way into heaven. And therefore, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. 
Jesus has done what we could never do. He lived the perfect sinless life and he went to the cross to pay for the sins of the world. And remember what he said just before he died on the cross. He, he's there, his hands are outstretched and he says, it is done. It is finished. The sins of the world are paid for. When he cries out, it is finished, it wasn't a cry of defeat, it was a cry of victory. He had completed what he had come to do. And all that's left for you is to apply that to your life, to receive his free gift of forgiveness and grace and mercy. We can really see the distinctions between do and done when you look at the stories told by the various faith systems. Let me give you an example. There's a story, in fact, there's a story uh, told in Buddhist literature that's very similar to the story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. At least they start off in a very similar way. In both the stories, young men rebel against their father and they go off to a distant land and, uh, on their own and, and they do what they like and they kind of you know, live it up. They spend all this money, they lose all this money and everything in their life falls apart for them. They completely blow it. They both start out the same. But in the Buddhist story, the young man comes home and what does the father do? Well, he forces him to pay the penalty for his past misdeeds by spending years in servitude. But what happens in Jesus' story? Well, the prodigal son comes home and instead of forcing him to work off his past misdeeds, the father opens his arms and gives him an unconditional love and forgiveness and grace and he embraces him. There's the difference. Titus 3 verse 5 says, God saved us. It was not because of any good works that we ourselves had done, but because of his own mercy that he saved us. That, that's not to say that Christians don't do good works, by the way. They do, but it's not to try to make themselves right with God. It's after they have received the free gift of God's grace that they say, I can't believe that God loves me the likes of me. And they're so overwhelmed by gratitude of what God has done that it is very natural for them to express that love towards God and other people by doing good things, by serving others. They're now indwelled by the power of God in order to achieve this. They want to serve, not because they're trying to earn salvation, but out of gratitude for all that God has done for them. So it's not that Christians don't believe in doing good deeds, but it's not the way in which they become reconciled with God. That is a freely offered gift of grace. So other religions are incompatible with Christianity in terms of how you become reconciled with God. But, but there is also an other major differences as well. See, Christianity says that there is one God eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hinduism says everything is God. You're a God, I'm a God, the lectern is a God, the chair you're sitting on is a God. Islam denies that Jesus was God and his death on the cross for our sins. Buddha was non-committal about the idea of God. He, he wasn't sure. I mean, he's almost kind of like an agnostic, ironically. He wasn't sure if God existed or not. So you can see that those beliefs, they're all at odds with each other. They can't all be true at the same time. Logically, it doesn't make sense, does it? They contradict each other. All religions are not basically the same. Jesus Christ, because he was the perfect son of God, only he qualified to offer himself as payment for our wrongdoing. 
No other religious leader ever claimed or pretended to be able to do that. And it makes sense when you think about it, doesn't it? It would be illogical for God to come over to one side of the world and say, here's who I am, I am one God, I am a good God, I eternally exist in three persons, this is how you come to me. But then he goes to the other side of the world and he says, forget all of that. I'm not one God, I'm millions of gods. I'm not a personal God, I'm an impersonal God, I'm a good God, but I'm also a bad God. You don't become reconciled through grace, you have to go and earn it and go through reincarnation. And then you go to another part of the world and you get, well, forget those two things. I'll tell you something different, I'm Allah and this is what you need. It doesn't make sense, does it? It wouldn't make sense. I mean, God would be schizophrenic if he did that. And then we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? What would make sense is if God provided a path for us to follow and to find him. And he would tell us about that path in an absolutely extraordinary way. It's called the incarnation. God becoming man that he might pay the penalty for our sins and we might spend eternity with him. So it does, it really does matter which path you follow in your spiritual journey. Jesus' words dispel the myth that all paths lead to God. But there's a second myth. Myth number two is this, all religions have equal claims on the truth. In other words, Christianity is no different than any other religion. It's still one philosophy among many. It's only valid as any other religious views. Even if there are some differences, they all have equal claims on the truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. They're both equally true. And, uh, you know, this has a certain amount of appeal in the UK because we live in this so-called tolerant society. We live in, certainly live in a pluralistic society and any human being has the right to believe whatever they want to believe. You can believe anything in this country and because of this, some people have this mistaken assumption that therefore every belief must be equally true. But that's not the truth. Jesus is the only one who tells the truth and is in fact the ultimate truth. So how do we know that Jesus was telling the truth? That's a fair question, isn't it? Well, the truth is this. Only Jesus backed up his claims with unique credentials that gave him unique credibility. And in fact, there are lots of credentials that gives him credibility. I could give you many, but I'm not. I'm going to give you four, four main ones that just back up the credibility of Jesus. If you're weighing up who Jesus is and you think, well, is he credible? I mean, how do I, kind of, how do I know that what he says is true? How do I know that he is worth going all in with? Well, Jesus will tell you and he'll give you some credibility here. First of all, Jesus validates his claim by fulfilling ancient prophecies. Jesus validates his claim to being the one and only Son of God because he is the only individual in the history of the world to fulfil dozens of ancient prophecies that were in fact written hundreds of years before he was even born on earth in Bethlehem. Nobody's ever been able to do that except Jesus Christ. And if you look at the life of Jesus, his life is kind of like a, it's like a checklist to the prophecies. For example, born of a virgin, tick, born in Bethlehem, tick, rejected by his own people, the Messiah to be destroyed by one of his own, betrayed by one of his own followers, the Messiah to die by crucifixion, tick, 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 the list goes on. Jesus said this about himself in Luke 24, 44, 
This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. He confirms it himself and he confirms it not just by what he says, by what actually he does, by the reality of who he is. But you know, there are some people though who go, yeah, but I'm not sure. Some people think that he sort of manoeuvred his life to deliberately fall or kind of fulfill them to fool people into thinking he was the one who predicted who would be the son of God, the saviour of the world. So here's a good one that people often throw up. Like, for example, one of the prophecies said that the saviour will come into Jerusalem on a donkey. So Jesus, trying to kind of fool people, to kind of get his credibility up, he's told his followers, look, go get me a donkey. I'm going to ride in Jerusalem because I'm really anxious to go there so that I could be tortured to go and die. And he just kind of manoeuvred his life to let that happen. But you see, when you look at all of these prophecies, and there's no way that he could intentionally fulfilled many of these. For example, he couldn't have arranged for his place of birth or his ancestry. See, one ancient prophecy predicted the exact moment in history when the Messiah would be born, which he fulfilled. He couldn't have arranged for how he was put to death, because you see, amazingly, it was predicted hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever adopted as a method of execution by the Romans. In fact, in one of the Psalms, it describes crucifixion hundreds of years before it was even used. There is no way he could have done it on his own that he fulfilled these prophecies in his own way. It, it, it goes against all mathematical odds. In fact, people who are kind of way smarter than me have done studies and they've looked at the odds of any person being able to fulfill these prophecies and they show us that it, not just only would it be difficult, not just that it would be unlikely, but that it would be mathematically impossible for any human being in history to fulfill them. And yet Jesus Christ did, every single one of them. And that's one of the ways he claims, his claim to be the Son of God is validated. But there's more, because secondly, Jesus validates his claim by his unprecedented character. So many times, when you get to know someone better and better, I mean, let's be honest, you then discover their shortcomings, don't you? begin to discover their flaws, don't you? But you know, the opposite is true of Jesus. As his followers spent more and more time with him and they got to know him more, they increasingly marvelled at his purity and his holiness and his integrity. In fact, nobody was closer to him than Peter and John. Listen to what they said after spending three years with him. John said in 1 John 3 verse 5, in him is no sin. I mean, can you imagine somebody living with you and getting to know you really, really well for three years? What would they say about you? I don't think they're going to say that, are they? They, they, they get to know you really well for three years. They're, they're not going to say, they'll know whether you did something wrong or not, wouldn't you? Peter said in 1 Peter 2 verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So his unique character validates his claim to being the one and only way to God, that he is God himself because God is pure, God cannot sin. He is sinless as Christ is. Here's another one. Thirdly, Jesus validated his claim by performing miracles. 
Now, this is something that often would challenge people, and Jesus used miracles purposely. He didn't use them as kind of like a, a trick or kind of like uh, to show off and be some kind of illusionist or any of that nonsense. Far from it. Jesus did miracles for a reason, for a purpose. And he challenged people. In fact, he says in John 10, verse 37, don't believe me unless I do miracles of God. In other words, anyone can claim to be the son of God. But unless they do miracles supernaturally to show you, don't believe them. And Jesus did perform miracles. And the thing is, they, they weren't done in some dark room, kind of on the quiet, with just a couple of people who were there. No, no, no. He did them in broad daylight. He did them in front of sceptics and cynics. He, he did them in front of thousands of people. And his ability to do the miraculous further validates his claim as to who he was. But here's the big one. Fourthly, Jesus validates his claim by being resurrected from the dead. No one has ever done that. The most spectacular demonstration of his deity was that he fulfilled his own prediction. And three days later, after he was put to death, he was resurrected from the dead. And he was seen by more than 500 eyewitnesses. Who else but the Son of God could spend three days in a tomb and then come forward and establish that he had returned to life? And there is a monumental amount of evidence that shows that the resurrection of Jesus is not just wishful thinking, not just some kind of legend of history, but it is an actual historical event. In fact, I'll give you one. Not long after Jesus was put to death and resurrected, just weeks later, in the very same city, Peter told a big crowd in Acts 2, verse 22, he says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man whose divine authority was clearly proven to you by all the miracles and wonders which God performed through him. You yourselves know this, for it happened here among you. And those people looked at him and they said, yeah, we know. We know you're telling the truth. We knew Jesus too. I mean, Jesus was such a big presence. I mean, he was the thing that people, the person people wanted to come and see. He made a huge impact in that area. And they say, we knew Jesus too. We saw it. We know it's true. And we have put to death the Messiah. That's what they say. And 3,000 of them that day turned away from their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And the church was born. Christianity is not a philosophy. It is a reality. And Jesus didn't just claim he's the one and only way to God. He validated his credentials and he established his credibility. Here's another one that often gets sort of flagged up. One other myth. Number three, Christians are arrogant to say Jesus is the only way to heaven. And do you know what? I, I would agree. I would agree that Christians are being arrogant if there were many ways to heaven and they were saying, well, ours is the best. But that's not what we're saying. We are saying the truth is someone has got to pay the penalty for the obvious wrongdoings that we have committed. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be us paying for eternity or is it going to be Jesus Christ paying as our substitute? He's the only one qualified to by his sin, sinlessness and his divinity to be our substitute. And therefore the truth is this, he's not arrogant to act upon the evidence. Christians aren't being narrow-minded when they say there is only one way to the Father. The truth is we all have a terminal illness called sin. 
And the reason that those of us who are Christians cling to Jesus Christ is because he is the great physician. He's the only one who has the medication that can cure us. We can try to scrub away our sins by doing good deeds. It ain't going to work. And we can ignore it and hope it all goes away, but it won't disappear. Our very unconscience tells us that. We can sincerely think there is another way of dealing with it, but we will be sincerely wrong. The truth is, only the great physician offers the treatment that will erase the stain of our sin. And we turn to God, we turn to Christ Jesus as that only way. It is not being narrow-minded. We are acting in accordance with the evidence. And it's not being snobbish, holier than thou, saying that Christians are somehow better than any other people because they do this. No, Christians aren't putting on airs by saying this is the only way. Kind of picture it like this. Picture two golf clubs' memberships. One golf clubs represent every other religious system that you've ever heard of. And this golf club says, if you want to come into our golf club, if you want to have a membership, you have to pay for that membership if you want in. And you have to achieve a certain level of spirituality. You have to perform a certain number of religious rituals. You have to accomplish a certain number of good deeds. And then maybe, maybe we will let you in. But the truth is, many of you ain't going to make it. You're going to fall short. You're not going to achieve the appropriate level and the door is going to be slammed in your face. That's what every other religion essentially says. Christianity is different. Christianity is like a golf club with the doors wide open. You want in? Come on in. You don't have to buy your membership. Jesus Christ has already bought and paid for it with his death on the cross. Coming into our golf club is not based on your qualifications. It is just merely based on you accepting the invitation of Jesus. The doors are wide open. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I don't care if you're black or white. I don't care what part of the country you're from. I don't care what your age is. The doors are open to you. And I'm going to keep them open because I really hope that you will come in. That is what Christianity is about. Now, you tell me which approach is snobbish. I don't think it's Christianity. In fact, Jesus tells us very clearly as Christians we're to be anything but arrogant in what we believe. In fact, we are to be humble. We talked a bit about this last week. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And what that means is that all Christians should be able to tell people about the credibility and the credentials of Jesus Christ and why he is their only hope for eternal life. But then it says, but do this with gentleness and with respect. We are to respect people of all cultures in all places. We are to love them and we are to be humble. Christianity is unique and it can't be reconciled with any other religion. It backs up its truth claims with credibility and credentials like no other system does. That's why we need to be telling people about Jesus and the good news of the gospel. And, why, and we may be laughed at, we may be criticised, we may be seen as intolerant or even have insults thrown at us. People in other parts of the world will die for Christ because they believe he is the only way. 
But we have to put up with all of these things because Jesus is the only way. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life, says Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the way. No other religious leader has ever made that bold statement. He says, I am the truth. Truth is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the truth. Not I might be, not I hope to be the truth, not I could be. He doesn't even say I point to the truth or I teach the truth. He says, I am the truth. You want to know the truth, he says, look at me. And when Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, history was changed, changed forever. And I just don't understand it. When somebody says, well, you know, I, I, I don't believe Jesus was God, but I do believe he was a good person. Listen, he couldn't be a good person. He's either who he says he is, or he is the biggest con man, the biggest liar who ever, ever lived. There is no grey area with Jesus. It is either black or white, and you bet your life on what you believe about Jesus. And that's why those of us who are Christians need to urgently be telling people in our lives, the people we love, that there is no other way. You know, sometimes I think we play a bit fast and loose with this as Christians. We kind of just put it on the back burner, but we shouldn't. Christ is the only way. Salvation is found only in Christ and in Christ alone. There is no other way. And therefore, as Christians who love the people in our lives, those people who don't know Jesus are on the road to hell and we don't tell them. We kind of think, well, they'll work it out or we'll think there's other ways. No, 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 no. The Bible is clear. Jesus is clear. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And our responsibility, our privilege, our joy as believers in Christ is to tell them that truth. To tell them why they too can know Christ and it's only in him alone. That is our joy. That is our responsibility. And people bet their lives on what they do with Jesus. There's one more thing. See, I can't finish this message without saying this. You've heard the message of Jesus, and therefore you're now accountable for it. The question is, what are you going to do with it? See, there are many people who have told God their entire life that they, well, they can live just fine without him, thank you very much, they don't, know, they don't need him. So when they die, God will say to them, well, based on your own decision in life, uh, to live your life separate from me, I'm going to honour that decision and I'm going to, well, I'm going to seal it right now and you will live with that decision for eternity and you'll be separated from me forever. God isn't going to violate our free will. He's going to honour the choice we make as to whether or not we want to be reconciled with him. You have access to the evidence and you are now responsible for the decision on how you will respond. And listen, you can spend many years investigating the identity of Jesus Christ. You may even become absolutely convinced based on the evidence that he is in fact the Son of God. But you have to come to the point that, and realise that you cannot save yourself. Unless you accept Jesus and he's offered to pay the penalty for your sins, you're going to remain separate from God forever. You're hopelessly lost, says the Bible. But Jesus calls out to you, he reaches out to you to rescue you. He alone is fully capable of leading you 
to safety. In fact, Jesus says this in John 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It isn't enough for you to intellectually realise this. It isn't enough for you to believe that it is true. You have to take a step of action. You have to take a step of faith, and you have to say, I am all in. And you have to apply what Jesus did on the cross to your life. And you receive him as your forgiver and as your leader. The Bible says you need to put your trust in the one with the credentials and the credibility to forgive you and save you. And when you do that, and as you grow in your faith, you will find what I have found, what many in this church have found, what millions of Christians have found out. Jesus is the way. He is the way to a life of purpose and fulfilment and adventure. Jesus is the truth. He will give you wisdom to deal with every single thing that comes up in your life every single day. And most of all, Jesus is the life. He alone can give you eternal life with God forever. That's the reality. That's the wonder. That's the gospel. That's the truth of Christ being the only way. That is the truth for those of us who love Jesus. That is the truth we should be, should be on our lips every single day. That is the truth we should be sharing with people who are lost without Christ. People who we love, who at this moment in time, if they don't love Jesus, they will be in hell when they die. And those of us who are not Christians, who are checking out the Christian faith, good, check it out, ask your questions, do the courses, read the books, but there will come a point where you actually have to say yes or no. And not deciding is a decision, remember. You cannot sit on the fence. You have to decide. I want to encourage those of you who have never invited, your, invited Jesus into your life to do that today. That today you will commit your life to Christ and make him your saviour. You will make him your Lord. And I'm going to pray. And if you're ready to do that, then I simply encourage you to pray this prayer as we pray together now. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who have already taken that step of faith, we see your Son, Jesus Christ, as our forgiver and our leader. And we are so grateful for providing the way for us. You didn't have to, but you did. You reached out to us. You rescued us. We thank you that you love us that much. Lord God, give us the courage, the passion, the urgency to tell others that salvation is found in Christ alone because he's the only one who has made the way through paying our debts. And Father, for those who have never received Jesus as their forgiver and leader, I pray that in this moment, in their spirit, they would say, Lord Jesus, I receive what you did on the cross right now, and I apply it to my life. I receive you as my leader. And I want to follow you forever. I receive you as the forgiver of all my sin, past, present and future. I receive you as my new friend, that I might grow to know you in this world and in the world to come. Father, we know that every person who prays that prayer in faith, your son is wrapping his arms around their shoulders and leading them away from the inferno to a place of safety forever. And we thank you for that. We thank you that Christ is the only way, because he's the only one who paid the price.
that he died and he rose again. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.